Hey, everybody in the greater San Francisco Bay Area, we're also looking at you, Oakland. We are coming out to Sketchfest this year, again, for the second year in a row, and we are doing a rare Sunday afternoon jam. So that is Sunday, January 15th at 1 p.m. You can come see us live, and tickets are going to go fast, so go to sfsketchfest.com and just click on the little ticket links or look at the lineup and follow us there. And uh, we can't wait to see everyone. It's one of our favorite cities to perform in. And uh, go to sfsketchfest.com, Oakland, San Francisco. We will see you soon. Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark, and there's Charles W. Chuck Bryant, and there's Jerry. And it is really cold here in the studio. It is Election Day Part 2. Mm-hmm. We're recording on Election Day. That's right. Jerry's got on her pantsuit. Yeah. Which means that she's uh, going to make America great again. <laughs> That's right. She's got on her pantsuit and her hat that says make America great again. <laughs> yeah, she's very messages. confused. <laughs> uh, I early voted, so I wasn't out there today. Yeah. But um, I heard people saying, like, oh, I want to wait till the real day because I just... I get more out of that experience. It's like, no, it's like Christmas now. Well, I mean. It's not just one day. It's spread out over weeks. To each their own, of course. But when I early voted, there were uh, plenty enough people there for me to feel mm-hmm. um, like I was, like I enjoy voting. It's it's a fun experience. <laughs> and it wasn't like I showed up early and it was, they were just like, get in there and vote. No, no, one, <laughs> right. no one cares. Don't make eye contact. <laughs> no, they had like still a fun grand old flag blaring yeah. on the speakers at the doorway and all that. Yeah, and hey, it, well, this is for the next election. I should have said this weeks ago. Thank an election volunteer. Okay. Just go up and say thank you to somebody. That's a lot of hard work, and they only make about 25 bucks an hour. Get spit on a lot? <laughs> I imagine it's not fun in a lot of precincts. Sure. And uh anyway, the good people doing good work. And that's all nice job I have to say about that. Are you ready? So let's talk about frostbite. Yeah. <laughs> when when you were standing in line for early voting, was it cold out? No, it was um late October, so it was very, very hot. Like a hundred degrees. <laughs> yes. Well you're very lucky that it wasn't cold out because had it been very cold out, Chuck, and had you been wearing what you're wearing now, T shirt, you know? And me undies. Yeah. And that's it? That's it. Uh, <laughs> and tennis shoes. Yeah, well, yeah. It's a terrible look. Uh-huh. Uh, you would have been a likely candidate for frostbite, depending on the temperature. Yes, and arrested. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Perhaps. Yeah, probably. It depends on how cool your uh, election volunteer was. Yeah. You know? So here's a little tip. If you're looking into frostbite for one reason or another. Oh, I know what you're going to say. Don't look at images of frostbite. Yeah. No need. Yeah, I like them. Yeah. It's like they're like balloon animals. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And we're not making light because it's this is something that affects people to the point of amputation. Yeah, it definitely can. But um, you don't need to go look at the pictures of blackened toes and blistered fingers and things. But it's if you do... really gross. And you want to cope with the horror... Just pretend again that they're balloon animals. Okay? All right. So uh, have you heard of this dude, Rulon Gardner? 
I had not until this. So he was a, a wrestler, and I'm not surprised you hadn't heard of him, especially if um, you if we were talking in the 90s, because he was virtually a nobody. Yeah. He was a professional Olympic-level wrestler. Greco-Roman. Right. Of course. But he was, um, yeah, not like WWF Olympic wrestling. Yeah, they should do that. <laughs> but uh, more like uh, Team Foxcatcher style wrestling, right? Uh, sure. Okay. Uh, but in the 2000 Olympics in Sydney, this guy came out of nowhere. He never placed like higher than either fourth or fifth, I think. Mm-hmm. And he came out of nowhere in the 2000 Olympics and won the gold. He became like the, the reigning world champion of Greco-Roman wrestling. Yes. Right? Of his weight class. And he was just this cool, nice farm boy from Wisconsin. No, from Wyoming. Yes. Okay. And, uh, a couple years after the, his win, his big win in the Olympics, he was snowmobiling out around his house, I guess. And he got stuck up there in like a 17,000 foot elevation, um, mountainous area. 10,000, but. Close enough. Still pretty high. And it was cold out. It was. I mean, super cold, Chuck. 80 degrees below Fahrenheit. That's crazy. Negative 62 degrees Celsius. And he's stranded. Like, he's out there. Yeah. So when you're like this, unless you have um, prepared to spend an extended amount of time outdoors in that weather. Even if you have sometimes. Yeah. You know? But if you haven't. You're in big trouble. Yeah, you're definitely. You're probably going to die. At the very least, you're gonna. You're going to get some serious frostbite, and that's all that Rulon Gardner ended up with was serious frostbite. And they're actually he. He's a really good example, as we'll see, of how a person or why a person could survive in that kind of weather. Yeah, and just get frostbite. He and lost why it wasn't a, worse. He lost a toe, right? Yeah, he did. Not bad. No, not bad for being out there for. Um, was it 17 hours? Yeah. In negative 80 degree Fahrenheit. I'd be like, just the moment I stepped outside, I'd just fall over and die. Right. <laughs> I wouldn't, I wouldn't even make it onto my snowmobile. They're like, Josh, you can probably make it. And you're like, no, leave yeah. me, leave me. You're still in the living room. <laughs> so, uh, he actually came back and won a bronze with the toe missing. Yeah, missing a toe. Pretty good. Yeah. And I saw he was on that biggest loser show. I think he, he gained a lot of weight. So if it was fat, that's not good for frostbite. If it was muscle mass, it's like Mr. Frostbite Fighter. I I think he put on uh, fat weight and went on The Biggest Loser and I think perhaps lost that weight. Huh. Good for him. Boy, he's just a winner all over, isn't he? Sounds like it. So um, frostbite, it turns out, was is not a an extensively studied malady. It's called a cold weather injury, right? Yeah. Cold temperature injury. Yeah, it's not tracked very well either. No, and up until the, the reason why is because up until about the 50s, um, if you got frostbite, you were probably a soldier. That's where most cases of frostbite came from, were from the militaries around the world. Yeah, you were a cross-country skier or a soldier. Right. And then as cross-country skiing got more popular and then downhill skiing gained popularity and then snowboarding came along and outdoor winter sports increased, mm-hmm. and mountain climbing is another big one too, incidents of frostbite uh, went up as well. So it was really in just the last few decades that frostbite's really become a lot more prevalent. It's become like significantly prevalent, but it, it hasn't, it's, it's just our understanding of it isn't as, um, widespread as you would think. Yeah, it says in here 10% of casualties 
American casualties in WW2 in Korea were frostbite. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? And a lot of those I saw were high-altitude frostbite cases where they, they were up in a plane and the plane wasn't insulated enough, so oh, interesting. Guy, poor guys just got frostbite. Wow. Yeah. Uh, cold weather injuries, uh, and this includes frostbite and other stuff, um, they says that men between 30 to 49, it's most common, uh, and it, it just makes sense. It says they're more likely to be the ones in engaging in these kind of outdoor extreme uh, temperature activities. Okay. Tell that to Peekaboo Street. Yeah, that's what I say. Uh, and then, of course, if you live in a warm or hot weather country, um, and maybe you're a soldier or something, then you're going to be more likely to get frostbite. Yeah, so apparently if you are of African descent, Arab descent, or Pacific Islander descent, uh-huh. you are likelier to get frostbite than uh, like a Caucasian or an Asian person. And that's because of your, just what your body's used to? They don't know. No one's ever said. Uh, it, any any explanation of it tends to be armchair and traipses very quickly into like racism. Sure. You know? So science is like, we've documented that it's definitely true. I think um, African-American soldiers get it like four times more like, more, four times, they're four times likelier to get it than their Caucasian, Caucasian soldiers no. in the same study. But they're like, we have no idea why. Right. We, we just can't say why. They're like, what are you saying? <laughs> right. Like, we're not saying anything. Right, we're just saying it. <laughs> we just documented it. Uh, all right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, the symptoms. Um, like we said before, even if you are dressed for the weather, it's this prolonged exposure. And I can, I went, I had the, the worst, what's the worst cold weather experience of your life? Do you remember? I do. All right. Well, let's, let's share these real quick. When I was, uh, Four, maybe five. I had these this pair of cowboy boots that I loved, uh-huh. and I got them when I was maybe three. Well, you started to grow significantly between three and four and five, uh-huh. so I'd outgrown the cowboy boots. But my parents had neglected to buy me replacement cowboy boots, <laughs> yeah, and had neglected to take away the ones that were now too small. So I went outside and I wanted to wear my cowboy boots, but I couldn't wear socks with them or anything. Uh-huh. And it is. The middle of winter in Toledo. Uh-huh. Like I'm sliding around on ice in my cowboy boots with no socks. And I got home and I lost three toes. <laughs> I didn't lose the toes, but everything else was, was, that was my first brush with the concept of frostbite. Yeah. Cause my mom was like, you could have gotten frostbite. Like this is, you're, you're a dumb kid. Yeah. And that was, that was a really eye opening experience for me. Uh, I went to a, Cleveland Browns game a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet that was in, cold. In Cleveland. Yeah. P- possibly the most miserable sporting event I've ever, not possibly. I've never understood why. Far and away. Yeah. Why what? Why people do that to themselves. Well, they wear like a badge of honor in those cold weather states. I guess. You know, like, you know. Like Green Bay? Yeah, they love that stuff. Yeah. I, I don't know if they really love it or if they just, it's, they've <laughs> all gotten so used to Dealing with it, that that's their way to deal with it is by putting down people who don't have to deal with it. Right. Like, you know, they'll come to Atlanta and it'll be like, you know, 28 degrees, which is cold. And they're just They're like, oh, speedo. this is like summer to us. Sure. Like, no, it's below freezing. Like, <laughs> and no you matter know who you are. <laughs> you Packer fan. Anyway, the Browns-Dolphins game of a few years ago was truly miserable. It was 
that stadium in Cleveland is right next to the the lake, uh-huh. and the water, the wind just whips off that water into the stadium. Man, and I was, I remember walking in there thinking, like, man, I am toasty. I'm going to be just fine. I was layered like eight layers deep. Yeah, I had pocket warmers. Right. Like this, I've got this. And as the game went on, just slowly and slowly and slowly. It just started to creep in through all those layers. And I'm talking long johns, mm-hmm. thermals, sweatshirts, sweaters, hoodies, and like the the big parka. It sounds like you did everything I right. Did everything right, and yeah. it still just cut through. And by the end of the game, my internal core was freezing. Right, and that's the big problem, right? Because frostbite is your body's natural response to staving off hypothermia, which is an even bigger problem. Yeah. You're not going to die from frostbite because there's only certain areas of the body and they're really ultimately not that important to keeping sure. you alive. But hypothermia, that's the that's the money problem, right? That's the one that's going to kill you. Yeah. Because with hypothermia, your core temperature drops and you end up freezing to death. Yes. Frostbite is your body's reaction to that. And what it does is I don't we'll want see, you to freeze to death. Right. You dummy, why don't you go? This one's on TV. It's not even blacked out. Like, go watch it on TV, <laughs> yeah, dummy. But, but we can lose a toe. Right. And that's fine. It'll be a badge of honor. You can go to Green Bay with that thing. <laughs> so your your body says, all right, fine. We'll, we'll lose a toe then. I'm going to stop sending blood to your extremities, including your toe, and I'm going to save it for your core. That's right. And it's not like your core needs more blood at that point, but when your blood goes out to like your skin and your fingers and your arms and your ears and your nose yeah, and your penis, you can get frostbite on your penis. Did you come across that? Uh, what, what do you mean come across it? <laughs> at the Browns game? In your research. <laughs> Did you see that? No, I didn't. You can, right? Well, that's definitely not something I will Google. So when blood goes out to these extremities, it's it's being exposed to that cold air more. Whereas if it stays circulating in the core, then it's able to just keep the core warm because the blood's not getting cold and coming back into the core and robbing the core of its warmth to reheat the blood. I would hope that your wee-wee is close enough to your core. I saw amongst joggers, it can be a real problem. Oh, well, that's because they're wearing those little dolphin running shorts. Right. Yeah, in Green Bay. And I should finish up that story about that game. It was not only miserable because of the weather, but that field was wet and frozen. Jeez. And it was the Browns-Dolphins, and it was literally like, I think it was like a six-to-nothing game. Oh, man. It was just awful. Did you at least get some good nachos out of the deal? I don't think so. You were too cold to, to eat? No. Well, I mean, I, I was with my in-laws and sister-in-law and my father-in-law. They don't eat nachos? And my cousin-in-law. Cousin-in-law? Yeah. Sure. So that was fun. Okay. But by the end of the game, I was like, you people are crazy. Yeah. This is miserable. I know why everyone's drunk. <laughs> yeah, which <laughs> is a bad move as far as frostbite goes, as we'll see. That's right. But let's get back to this um, bit about sending uh, warm blood to the extremities. There is, um, and this is something I did not know. It's pretty neat, though. But your hands and your feet have these little junctions between arteries and veins that you can shut off like a faucet mm-hmm. uh, called uh, arteriovenous anastomosis. Nice. And I think you nailed it. That's literally what happens is your body starts to get cold, and they say, you know what, I'm going to shut shut it down for your hands and feet. Yep. 
So sorry, but we need to keep your internal organs and your wee-wee nice and warm. Right. <laughs> there's a, there's actually something called the hunting response. And the hunting response is where your arteriovenous anastomosis shut off. Yes. So the blood to your extremities is shut off. But then every 10 to 15 minutes, you're, they, they get turned back on so that there's blood going back to your extremities again for a few minutes and then they get shut off again. So it's, it's keeping it going just enough so that your, your, right. your extremities aren't actually going to freeze. Interesting. But then that hunting response is only good down to about zero degrees Celsius to freezing. Right? Yeah. And once it hits that, your hunting response turns off and your, the, the circulation to your extremities is shut off entirely. Right. It's not coming back on anymore. Yeah. And at this point, um, your skin is literally freezing between the, the, the space between cells. Ice crystals are forming. It's going to dehydrate the interior of those cells and damage that tissue and you're in bad shape at that point. Yeah, because ice crystals are literally forming in between your cells, right? And if that damages the cells, that's bad enough. Yeah. But when ice is forming, as anybody knows, ice is less dense than water, <laughs> right? And as it forms, it takes that water and sucks it up. And since cells love homeostasis, mm-hmm. They want to regain that balance of, uh, sol- of, um, solution between yeah. the outside of the cell and the inside of the cell. So water's drawn out of the cells. That stuff freezes too. Yeah. And all of a sudden your cells are dehydrated and the stuff in between them is ice crystals. So Not it's, good. it's a bad jam in there. And we'll, we'll get further into the cells after this. So, Chuck, the extracellular matrix is frozen into ice crystals. Your cells are dehydrated. That is. Um, and your skin is literally freezing. Yeah, and, and you're watching the browns and the dolphins. Right, exactly. <laughs> it's bad. What you've just entered is um, the first degree, or the I should say not the first degree, but the first part of um, of frostbite. That's right. And actually, that's probably called... Frost nip. I think frost nip comes before that. I think as your skin's is it's getting closer and closer to says, zero degrees. Uh, it says here frost nip is mild frostbite. Only skin freezes and skin appears yellowish or white, but feels soft to the touch, tingling and burning sensations. But there's no like the extracellular matrix is not actually freezing and forming ice crystals. I, I don't think, think, think at this point. Yeah, in frost nip. Once Plus it just sounds cuter. One, yeah, it does. Then it? you just got a little frost nip. Yeah, some marshmallows will clear that right <laughs> up. Uh, once the ice crystals form the extracellular matrix, you've hit frostbite though for sure. Right. Yeah. Um. So can we talk about the degrees now? Yeah. All right. First degree, uh, superficial wounding and underlying of the skin and the underlying tissue and numb to the sensation. That might be frost nip. No, frost nip has tingling still 
frostbite is where it's like numb? you're numb. All right. Yeah, and your hands supposedly feel like blocks of wood, or your leg, or your penis, whatever, <laughs> whatever is being frostbitten, and and it's horrible. It feels like a heavy block of wood. Second degree, uh, still superficial. Just like you don't want to hang around it. It's not very deep in conversation. It's very superficial. <laughs> uh, and the skin blisters and the tissue freezes. Uh, third degree, you're going to get that deep tissue and skin wounding. Um, blisters, blood-filled blisters, permanent tissue damage. And then finally, fourth degree, no good at all. No. You're going to lose a digit or a limb because of all the dead tissue. Yes. Severe, severe tissue damage. Yeah, yeah, like, you're uh, almost certainly going to result in amputation because yeah. you're, you've got necrosis, you've got cellular cellular death. Yes, like extensive cellular death. When those things get dehydrated and cut up by the crystals, the mm-hmm. ice crystals, they're toast. No coming back. No, and it's even worse. It turns out when it freezes. And then thaws, and then refreezes. Yeah, did not know that. And it, well, it makes sense though, because like you've got the initial damage from those ice crystals that form, mm-hmm. and then they thaw, and then they form new ice crystals and do even more extensive damage. Yeah, it would make sense that your cells would be like, you had one shot, mm-hmm. you blew it, if you, you thawed and then refroze. Who does that? Yeah, it's like skunky beer. Yeah. All right, so. I just gave myself away and said that I did not know that about the rewarming, but I also, and I wrote articles on cold weather survival. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah. And I don't remember, I thought the way to treat frostbite was to very, and I think I might have been thinking hypothermia, was to very gradually rewarm your hand or whatever. Not with frostbite. It makes yeah, sense that I you would totally want to I totally thought like, no, you don't want to shock your your frostbitten hand no you do with warm water but that's exactly what you want to do yeah and you it has to be warm water and the reason why is because direct heat from like a heating pad or something like that can actually really damage the damage that's already done it can it can take it and and finish it off well because you you don't have that feeling in your hand so you might be burning yourself and not even know it right but i get the impression that also direct heat itself actually on a cellular level is problematic for the tissue damage right oh right you want indirect warmth through water. Oh, interesting. And you plunge your hands. Let's say, so I keep going to hands because I think that's probably the most... Um, hands and feet, probably. Sure. Um, but let's say it's feet, right? All right. You get a couple of buckets of 104 degree Fahrenheit temperature water, mm-hmm. and you plunge your hands and your feet in them and just leave them in there until they're rewarmed. Yeah, you don't want to... Uh you don't want to make it too hot. No. And this is, there's some really important points to say here. Like, well, first of all, we're not doctors. No. We're not lawyers either, but we know enough to say that we're not doctors. <laughs> That's correct. So if you are, if you find yourself in a, a cold weather injury survival situation like this, or mm-hmm. you come across somebody, from what I've seen, you don't actually want to do this until like you're down off the mountain. Well, yeah, because of the whole thing with uh, mm-hmm. thawing and refreezing. That's one part of it. It said, like, don't start this process unless you know you can complete it. Right. And, unless that you know that it's not going to freeze again. Yeah. Cause you got the, f- the freeze thaw, freeze injury that yes. comes about. But also one of the other things you're going to find is that, like I was saying earlier, your extremity that's frostbitten, once it thaws, it's going to resemble a balloon animal very quickly. Yeah. And if you're hiking out of a, um, of a like a mountain area, yeah. Somebody came to get you finally. A ravine, let's say. Sure, um, 
you're actually better off walking out on your frostbitten feet than you yeah. are rewarming them and trying to walk out on those because they're going to just balloon up and you will not be able to walk on them afterward. At yeah. the very least, if they're frostbitten, you can't feel them and they're not swollen. But part of the thawing process is what's called perfusion or reperfusion. And there's something called a reperfusion energy where blood and oxygen comes back to the site. Yeah. And it actually leads to inflammation and the tissue damage from the body going back to its normal processes can actually make the whole thing way worse. Yeah, and and that also ties in nicely with one of the things they recommend is to keep moving. If you're stranded somewhere, even if you don't leave the area, get up and walk in circles. Yeah. Like anything you can do to try and get circulation going to those extremities again. Yeah, and we talked about it kind of in the hibernation episode where when you um, make your muscles move, it requires energy, and it burns that ATP and creates heat as a byproduct. So anytime you can move your muscles, you're actually generating heat, which is what the shiver response is. That's right. Uh, one thing that they said um, in 2007, there was an issue in Archives of Surgery, that hot, hot publication. <laughs> um, they said that they had some pretty good results, promising at least from a study about um, anti-clotting agents, uh, like blood thinning agents to help that blood flow, but uh, I don't know where that's gone since then, and it said that not everyone's a candidate for that, and, you know, this is something that you would obviously not have if you were out there trying to survive. This is something you would get maybe in the emergency room. Sure, right. And the other big thing is infection. After you've rewarmed that tissue, uh, infection is a big problem waiting to happen. Huge problem. Um like you're a prime candidate for tetanus. Yeah. When your feet swell, the, the uh, skin can very easily crack. Your toe can just fall off and you don't have to worry about amputation anyway, right? Oh, man. Um, and again, a lot of this is, is what's called a perfu- reperfusion in, uh, injury. So when this immune response or this inflammation response comes and puffs up your, your foot or your hand or whatever's been frostbitten, um, if you're out in the field, you would be very smart to uh, have aloe vera gel on you because it actually prevents what are called um, prostaglandins from entering the site, and they are part of the inflammatory response. So the more you can keep your your frostbitten hand or foot from being inflamed, the better off you're going to be. Uh, another thing that you're not supposed to do, uh, and it says here the thing that you've seen in movies where you clap your frozen hands together, I've never seen that in my life. What is that? I don't know. I don't know what that is. That was like the Karate Kid, I think, is the movie that we're referencing. Maybe. (laughs) Uh, But it also says here, don't walk on your frozen feet. And um, that sounds counter to what we were saying. I think what we were talking about earlier is if, like, the only way out of the woods is you. To save your life. Yeah. Yeah. But if you've got, you know, like, rescue people... Oh yeah, don't walk. Yeah, yeah. If you got people that'll carry you down a mountain, yeah, yeah. Go with that. Exactly. I think what this guy was saying was if you are up on a mountain mm-hmm. and yeah, the person needs to walk down, you probably shouldn't start the the thawing process because gotcha. they're not going to be able to walk after their feet are thawed because okay. they're going to balloon up. Gotcha. All right, well let's take another break and we'll talk a little bit about prevention right after this.
All right, stay out of the cold. Yep. The end. That's the prevention. <laughs> it literally says that in our own article. Um, that's obviously the common sense thing to tell people, but uh, if you're a hobbyist, mm-hmm. an outdoor, cold weather hobbyist, right. you're going to be out there. Like, or if you're a reindeer herder. Well, that's what I was saying. You might have a job, too, though. Sure. You're a mail carrier or uh, roadworks. Reindeer or herder. <laughs> reindeer herder. Cr- Christmas tree farm. Uh, oil. The oil industry has a lot of frostbite. Uh, sure. Yeah. I could see that. Um, so there's a lot of industries, obviously, where you're forced to be out there. And hopefully you're being taken care of uh, through the company you work for. But you should also take care of yourself. Uh, by layering, like we talked about. Yeah. Um, use that thermal underwear on the bottom and then layer on top of that. Yeah. And you want to, you want to wear something that, um, that is tight. Well, not necessarily tight. It's, it's fitting, but not compression. Okay. I saw specifically several places do not wear compression clothing in cold water, cold weather situations. All right. Um, and you want stuff that's not going to make you sweat. Or is going to trap sweat. You want stuff that's going to breathe, right? Because if you sweat and it traps the sweat, that's going to fr- your clothes are going to freeze to your body. So comfortable wicking, yes, clothing layered upon layer upon layer, preferably with Modal. <laughs> it's very soft. Yeah. Um. What else? You can keep your your body in shape. Um, diabetes and other circulatory diseases. Thyroid conditions, they can all lend themselves to uh, be more apt to get frostbite. Yeah, and um, a common myth, I thought this was the case too, but a common myth is that the, if you are overweight, if you have layers of fat, yeah. it will protect you out in the cold. And actually, it's not true. No, it's not true. Supposedly, um, layers of fat tend to deaden your nerve endings, which would tell your body to like get some blood going. Yeah. Uh, and if they're deadened, then they're not going to be doing that. One thing you should do, though, right, is if you have a little whiskey and a cigarette, just mm-hmm. nip on that and smoke a cigarette, and that'll warm you right up, right? Yeah. <laughs> Not true. Maybe if you know for a fact that no one's coming for you, might as well have a last drink and a last smoke. Okay. <laughs> but if you're trying to warm yourself, no, those are that's the opposite of what you want to do. Yeah, it's. Um, I think we did another show on... Avalanches. Maybe that was right, a long time ago. With the St. Bernard's. Yeah, because I remember the drinking alcohol, it gives you... Um, it's, and it also talks about other illegal drugs. Um, but booze is a sort of a double-edged, not double-edged sword, the double hammer. <laughs> two-headed hammer? Sure. It's a two-headed hammer because it makes you feel warmer, but you're actually getting colder. Right. And it's, it's also going to affect your, uh, you know... And judgment. Yeah. Yeah, it'll you're, impair you're your mental. judgment. Sure. <laughs> you might stop walking around. You might be like, oh, it doesn't matter. Yeah. Stupid I, mountain. I'm just going to sit down. This, vo- this vodka is warming me up. Yeah. And the reason why, did you say, because it, it carries the blood to your skin for a second, so it makes you feel flushed. Yeah. But when it's doing that, it's, it, it's that carrying core. away from your core. Yeah. So it's a really bad move in a very cold weather situation to drink. Bad. And the same with smokes. A uh, cigarette does not warm you up uh, in any way. And Yale University said that the smokers have a greater risk for frostbite because nicotine just slows everything down, and it's even going to make your blood pump slower uh, and make it harder to get to your digits Yeah, and your wee-wee. Yeah. So, Chuck, I feel like we uh, we probably saved some lives here today. 
<laughs> I got another little thing. I found an infographic that was cute. Uh, that had a couple of things that I didn't know. And this isn't frostbite necessarily, but I just thought it was interesting. Uh, do you know why your nose runs when it's cold? No. In trying to warm up cold air on the way to the lungs, extra blood flow within the nostrils leads to more mucus. Oh, that's cute. Uh, eyeballs don't freeze. Oh, uh, I didn't know that. Thankfully. Uh, because. I bet your contacts can freeze to your eyeballs though. <laughs> oh. Yeah. I didn't think about that. But, uh, your eyeballs don't freeze because they're inside the head, uh, and your head is not one of your extremities. Like, that's part of the core. They want to, your body wants to keep your head oh, nice and warm. Yeah, yeah. Um, and what else? Ears are at great risk because there are no muscles in the ear to produce heat. No major muscles. Huh. And finally, your cheeks are going to turn red because, again, those surface blood vessels dilate. When it falls below 10 degrees Celsius. I saw that your buttocks are actually at risk as well, um, especially if you're like watching a football game on aluminum bleachers or something like that. Oh, yeah. Because it's uh, that material is going to wick the uh, heat right out of your butt. Yeah. Right out of your tuckus. Yep. Yeah. So that's frostbite. Just stay indoors. Drink some hot chocolate. Yeah, watch that Browns game on your big widescreen and drink a hot toddy. There you go. Emily had a toddy last night because she's sick. Oh, yeah. Those work. Yeah, her big push now is on natural remedies. Uh huh. And so she looked up like a good old fashioned toddy recipe. Yeah. Did she like it? She loved it. It's, they're really great when you're sick. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. It, ta- I mean, it really she takes the edge off of added a little. <laughs> <laughs> she had a little ginger uh, water to hers. Oh, nice. And um, it was nice and spicy hot. And warm yeah. to the touch. Mm-hmm. So let's hope she stays sick for a while. Yeah, well, feel better, Emily. I'm going to enjoy those as well. Are you one for you, one oh, for me? It's kind of nice, actually. I just had a a bourbon. I know you don't have to be sick to have a hot toddy. No, they do help when you are, though. Yeah. Uh, if you want to know more about frostbite, you can type that word in the search bar at howstuffworks.com. Since I said search bar, it's time for listener mail. Uh, I'm going to call this ham radio, I guess. Okay. Oh, burglar tape. Oh, yeah. Hey, guys. A big fan of the podcast. I was excited to share some knowledge from uh, my area of expertise. In the ham radio, you mentioned burglar tape. I've worked in the electronic security and fire protection industry for 16 years. Mm. and can remember my first exposure to burglary tape. Uh, back before motion detectors and acoustic glass break detectors, burglar tape, uh, tape was used to trigger an alarm if a window was broken. Isn't that what we figured, or was yeah, it? Yeah, I think so. Uh, it is essentially a thin foil tape that was glued to a window using a clear liquid glue. The tape was applied around the perimeter of the window, directly on the glass. The foil tape would then be tied down to a two-wire circuit at one of the corners of the window frame. The foil completed the circuit, so if the foil was severed from the window breaking, the circuit would open and initiate an alarm. Technology has left burglar tape behind as there are much less invasive means to detect a window breaking today. Uh, but as far as being a ham radio antenna, makes perfect sense. Nice. That is from Josh Hines. Hey, Josh. All right. Fellow Josh. Where <laughs> yeah. you go? Uh, if you want to get in touch with us like Josh did, you can tweet to us at Josh um, Clark uh, or at SYSK Podcast. You can hang out with Chuck at Charles W. Chuck Bryant on Facebook and at Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Send us an email to stuffpodcast at howstuffworks.com. And as always, join us at our home on the web, stuffyoushouldknow.com. Stuff you should know.
more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 